1: Hello, welcome to Jewel Says. I'm Julie Jewels. If you have anything you'd like to share or ask me, you can email me at jewelssays at gmail.com. J-E-W-E-L-S says at gmail.com. My daughter Joanne and her six-year-old son Richard are visiting from BC this week. And yesterday we went to Centerville, which is an amusement park on Toronto Centre Island specifically geared toward children four and a half feet and under. Some rides require an adult on them if the child is under four feet, but some rides will not allow you on if you're over four foot five inches. So it's definitely geared toward little kids. I highly recommend it if you have small children and you're in the Toronto area. So we went on all the rides, but one of the things I noticed... I'm not around to the general population of young children that often. My grandchildren live far away. But anyway, one of the things I noticed was how so many children are whining and crying and kicking off. And of course, they're too little to understand that their parent or their grandparent or whoever brought them there went to a not insignificant expense. And is taking a day out of their busy schedules, I know how busy caregivers are, to do something special for them. I get that a little kid isn't really going to understand that. But what I don't understand is how children beyond a certain age feel entitled to kick off if they are bored or if they don't get their own way. I don't understand it. I just don't. I saw... I mean, someone posted a thing once that said, and I'm paraphrasing here, if you shut your child down when they're little, when they're showing anger by giving them a timeout or whatever, don't be surprised if they don't want to talk to you when they're teens. And I thought about that because I was the kind of person when my children were young who did not tolerate tantrums. I mean, up to a certain age, they're going to happen, but I maintain that that behavior will not continue past a certain age, maybe three, unless it works for the child. I know that some people think that by putting a child in a timeout, you're ignoring them, but how I handled that was, I firmly believe it's fine to remove them from a situation if they're behaving in a way that's unacceptable. If they're kicking and punching and screaming, I just very calmly say to them, no one wants to see that or listen to that. You're not allowed to kick and punch people. I know you're angry, so you're going to stay in your room until you've calmed down enough to play nicely and talk. My children could also speak very young. But then I would talk to them about the situation immediately, not days after or anything. would say, You can't kick or punch people. That hurts people. You wouldn't like it if someone kicked or punched you. And and I would also discuss whatever the reason was that kicked it off. I told you that you need to come out of the ball pit. When you're little, I'm responsible for your well-being. And when I ask you to do something, you need to do it. You can tell me you don't want to respectfully, And I'm happy to explain to a child why I'm making a decision that they may not like. But you need to learn to at least maintain enough self-control that you don't act like that. And I would also counter to that person who posted that, that if you allow a child to kick off and scream and punch and kick or to express anger destructively, don't be surprised if your teenager just tells you to fuck off all the time. I've seen that happen. And I think that that level of respect is best taught at an early age. Now, obviously, there isn't a specific line. This is very nuanced. And it depends on the situation. Sometimes children will only behave that way if they're extra tired, or if they are not feeling well or if something else is going on that's upsetting them and on their mind. Absolutely, we need to read the situation and demonstrate compassion, and listen to them, and firmly and kindly set those behavioral boundaries. No one is happy in a household where a child is constantly kicking off. No one. There's no way the child who's behaving that way is enjoying it, They're certainly not enjoying their parent getting frustrated to the point where they are yelled at. They absolutely don't enjoy being told again and again and again not to do something. I don't think there's anything wrong with setting behavioral boundaries with children at a very young age, as long as you're kind and consistent and not constantly yelling yourself. I can also tell you, when I was little, there's no way I would have behaved that way. And I know that people might think, oh, you just don't remember and your mom's passed away. You can't even ask her. I know for a fact. But also a lot of that is the personality that you're born with. I absolutely recognize that as well. I happened to be a compliant child. I wanted to please people. I remember when I was four, and the reason I remember I was four was because my friend Shelley Martin... I can say her last name because she probably changed it. My friend, Shelley Martin, lived in a house that I know we moved away from by the time I was four or five. No, before I started school, definitely. When I was four, I was playing outside with my little friend, Shelley, and she said, I'm going to ask my mom for a popsicle. And I remember saying to her, because I knew her, I knew her style. She used to nag her mom if she didn't get her own way. And I said to her, if she says no, let's just come back outside. Because even at four, it stressed me out to watch my friend harangue her mother. And then her mother, I could see, would be getting wound up and then start yelling at her. I knew that at four. But maybe for me, it was too much because I also didn't believe that I was entitled to demand anything that I wanted. I would never, as a young child, have fought for anything I wanted or argued for anything I wanted. So I think it's possible that I was too far the other way. I used to also have a recurring dream when I was that age, and it was very terrifying to me. I would always wake up. The little girls in the neighborhood, and I have no idea what this means psychologically, but this was my dream as a very young child, because Shelley Martin was in it. The little girls were lined up in front of a sewer grate, wearing nothing but little blue trench coats. We all had the same trench coat on. And Jesus, or as I had seen Jesus depicted, but in my dream, I I knew it was Jesus, Jesus was kneeling at the other side of the sewer grate and very calmly beckoning us one at a time. He would remove the trench coat and put each little girl down the sewer. And I remember Shelly Martin was in front of me and he put her down. And the last thing I remember before I woke up and this I had this dream periodically was looking down the sewer to see Shelly Martin naked looking up at me with this, uh, she didn't didn't look afraid. Her expression was an imploring expression. And then just as it was my turn, I used to wake up. That is a fucked up dream for a four-year-old to be having. And I sometimes think about it today and I wonder where the hell that came from. Is that symbolic that even at four, I knew that girls were sewer-worthy, disposable? I don't know. If anyone's a dream expert, let me know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. The point about how I felt at a young age is that it's hard to know where the sweet spot is between helping a child develop to be both socially and emotionally well-adjusted. It's somewhere in the middle, and it's different for every child. If you love your child, don't raise them to be an asshole, but also don't raise them to put up with assholes. Not easy, I know. (sighs) Abe and I are working remotely these days, but before the pandemic, I was working on a contract in Sarnia, so I was out of town during the week. And Abe was working on a contract in Montreal. And so every week, he would get up early, early, early in the morning on Monday to catch a flight to Montreal. I think he had to get up at 5 a.m. or something. And then he would fly home, usually on Thursday nights. I kind of liked it when he was in Montreal, though, because he had an apartment there. And then every once in a while, instead of him coming home, I would fly to Montreal after my work day on a Friday, and I would have a weekend in Montreal, which was really nice. And he would cook food for me. We would just hang out together, and it gave him a break from traveling. And then I also had a fun weekend in Montreal in his apartment, and it was kind of hot having this weekend trip periodically. It was, I really liked that. But anyway, everything has good and bad. Now we're both home together. But one night, he got home from his flight, and he started telling me about this fabulous woman he met on the flight. And immediately I'm like, huh? Go on. Um, I'm just going to get him. I know I'm going to mess up the details of this, so I'm going to get him. Abe?
0: Yes. (laughs) Abe.
1: Okay, so you get home. You tell me you met this fabulous woman.
2: Right, but I didn't wait too long before I told you that she is in a relationship with another woman, so she's not a threat. Not like that.
1: Oh, and the other thing you said was they're a May-December relationship just like us.
2: Which is how you've described us in the past.
1: Yes. But still, when I heard you say it, it felt different. So the woman you met was the older, the December portion of May-December.
2: Right. Yep. And she would be, if you were going to classify it or, or label it, she would be the more masculine of the two, I would say. Yeah. And she was just really very engaging. We chatted the whole way home. And that was about an hour, and it didn't take long. well, like we covered a lot of things, you know, our relationship dynamic theirs. She asked about children, and I talked about how you have grown children and she, and that
1: you have none.
2: And that I have none. And she mentioned how they wanted to that they were planning on having a child or. Her partner might go to school first to get her master's and then they might have a child. But they had a father or, yeah, father figure uh, uh, lined up, biological. But they weren't quite sure about him because he was older and the sperm quality degrades with age, apparently.
1: Was this all on the flight? Yeah. Now, did she say how old he was on the flight?
2: No, I, I don't know. I think might have. My memory is not great.
1: Because, anyway, I'm jumping ahead here. So this conversation is still on the flight. hmm Okay.
2: Yeah, so um she didn't outright and ask me about, you know, if I ever considered... I don't think she did ask me if I ever considered being a father of a child that was not my wife or partner. So... That part, I think I kind of put together overnight, maybe the next day. It was like, oh, maybe this is why she was so engaging. Yeah.
1: And I think you kind of said that to me the next day. It's as though the penny dropped at some point. Right. Now, she didn't come right out and ask you, but you thought, oh, hang on.
2: Yeah. Maybe she was kind of feeling me up for that. No, that's not the right word. Sizing me up. (laughs)
1: Well, if she felt you up
2: (laughs) on the plane. Feeling me out, sizing me up.
1: Yes, yes. I think the penny dropped at some point over the weekend. It seems to me, and I could be recalling this incorrectly, it seems to me that you articulated this to me just as I was leaving to go to Sarnia on the Sunday.
0: As a person with a very deep voice,
1: And so I'm on my way to Sarnia thinking, what the hell? Because it, I think at the time I said, well, would you consider that? Yeah. And you didn't unequivocally say, well, no, I wouldn't consider that. You seemed, no, it wasn't unequivocal. And so I'm on my way to Sarnia thinking, what the hell? Because the other thing I said before I left was, well, if you are considering it, You'll have to consider how that's going to happen, whether that's going to be turkey baster, or lab, or as Mother Nature intended. Because I said you you might have a hard time with the Mother Nature intended methodology with four of us in the room, and I kind of laughed. Do you remember me saying? Yeah,
2: that? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, this I was joking. Was all you know not on the table? No. Anyway, I and mean, I was I'm, wasn't considering it. I'm not considering it.
1: But of course. On my way to Sarnia, I'm the kind of person I start ruminating, and I'm like, wow, I wonder if he is considering it, and how would that work? I'm sort of feeling a little bit off balance over this whole concept, and we didn't really discuss it at length.
2: Needlessly off balance. Okay.
1: Okay. But still, at the time, I felt a bit off balance because that's kind of where my head was at the time. I'm thinking, what the hell? Is he actually considering this? So it made me feel a little off balance at the time. So then.
2: So then, I mean, so as we were getting ready to get off the plane, she's like, well, take my card. Let's keep in touch. So we connected on LinkedIn. Yeah. And since then, we had dinner together, the four of us, two or three times. Three times, I think. I don't know. I at least know. twice.
1: Yeah, definitely at least twice.
2: Yeah. And so that was all before COVID. And we haven't, we kind of mm, said hi but, once in a while over LinkedIn, but nothing else really. But of
1: course, I hadn't seen her. Abe had said, oh, well, she's definitely not my type. And she's not the feminine one in the relationship. Fine. And I'm
2: not th- her type, of course.
1: <laughs> Although, The first time we had dinner, the subject came up again, and Mm -hmm. that was when she said that the potential sperm donor, who was one of their friends and who was a gay man, was in his 50s, and they felt that they would prefer someone younger. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, come on. Motility is maybe an issue in your 50s, but really, you don't have a hugely escalated probability of deformity at that age. The other thing they said was they didn't just want an anonymous donor. They wanted someone who would be an actively engaged Mm co-parent. And, oh, the other thing was there was no expectation of financial support. Mm. However, you can say that all you want, but there is a legal responsibility of financial support. And if someone tells you that they want you to be a father, Of their child with zero expectation of financial support. Believe that if you want, but know that legally they can always change their minds, and you will definitely be legally obligated to contribute to the financial support.
2: Mm -hmm. But I would insist on it anyway. Well, if I got in that situation, which I wouldn't, because no, I know. But but
1: of course, it was an interesting. It was interesting because I think they never came right out and asked you, but when you and I talked about it, I didn't get the impression that you were unequivocally opposed to the idea because, of course, there are other considerations. It's hard enough to co-parent and raise a child with someone you love and that you live with because we all come from different backgrounds. Mm. There are things we are going to disagree on. There are things we are going to argue about.
2: Well, yeah, that would be in this hypothetical world. Yes, we're talking hypothetical. That's not going to ever happen. No, but let's it say it would be that would be the hardest thing because it's it's hard enough for two people to get yeah. on the same page about raising a child and then then again the teen years like your friend, well, I won't say their names, but you know, they were Best of friends and and had the best marriage until the youngest turned what, 15, 16?
1: Yeah, 15 or 16.
2: And they just did not agree on how to parent a 15, 16 year old girl. And that was, that just came out of left field for them.
1: Yeah. She said they argued more in two weeks than they had in the previous 25 years of their marriage. Yeah. So that can be challenging. But, of course, I'm not the kind of person to think of something and then <laughs> just let it go. Because, of course, I start ruminating on all the hypotheticals, right? And one of the jokes that I made was, well, if you're going to do this, I need to be named as one of the fathers on that birth certificate. <laughs>
2: yeah. But, you know, there it was very funny. Be, funny it was coincidental that maybe two or three weeks after this whole thing started, then there was this episode on CBC Radio yes, about exactly the situation. A man and a woman, they were each gay, and they were best friends, and they decided to have a child together. And by the sounds of it, it all was working very well. And then, then they were talking about having a second child together, and there was a bit of a tricky discussion there because the man's partner wanted to be the father of the second child. So they did say that in the end, the original father would be the father of the second one, but that would be very tricky waters to navigate, I would think.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I know that a lot of people would hear about that situation and go, that's terrible. That's ridiculous. But I think it sounds like it could be better than divorced parents because at least then you're not together. You're co-parenting. You get time away and then engage time with the children. And you don't have the acrimony that often comes with a divorce.
2: Yeah, the schedule and the rules and all the expectations are kind of laid out up front. And the the way they described it, it was working very well. Yeah. So, but, you know, there are divorced people who co-parenting works very well and but others don't so that's a bit of a crapshoot too i think it
1: yeah i mean yes absolutely there are many divorced parents who co-parent very well and that's the way it should be but it isn't always that way at least you don't have the added layer of acrimony that some parents have Mm -hmm. but the other thing i said is well you have a single brother if they want someone maybe they should ask if your single brother would be interested. But I genuinely don't think he would want to be an actively involved co-parent in that situation. So
2: No, he wouldn't. And that reminds me of another point. I don't think necessarily my genes are (laughs) grade A class. There's uh, definitely some autism spectrum that runs in my family. Not that that's a bad thing. It can be a, a very good thing. But it can be challenging for people in that person's life or for that person themselves. And it can
1: be challenging parenting a child who's neurodivergent.
2: Mm -hmm. And,
1: you know, I'm pretty sure that she looked at you and thought, whoa, who's this handsome devil? And then got chatting. So you don't have any children, do you? Hmm. Have you ever wanted children? Because that subject came up again at the dinner. Have you ever wanted children? And you and I talked about that early in the relationship, whether you would want children.
2: In our relationship. In our relationship. Because
1: I didn't want more children, but if it had meant a lot to you, I would have considered it.
2: Yeah, but no, I was fine without...
1: And you inherited the best stepchildren imaginable.
2: So there you go. The most amazing.
1: Turned out that way. (laughs) And you got to be a grandfather without going through the whole process of raising your own children. The other thing is, Abe had a friend back when we were, we might have been together, I don't know if it was three years or five years or how long it was. But we were definitely in a monogamous relationship, well known to everyone. I knew the family Abe had a friend who was dating this girl who had three children with one guy. Fine. Then she made it very clear that she desperately wanted a baby with the friend. And even though the friend never expressed a desire to have a baby, but she would frame it like, oh, Joe really wants to have a baby with me. She would say that to other people. That's hearsay. I was only told that by someone else. But the other thing she did was she felt sorry for Abe because Abe was with me and I was not about to give Abe a baby. Certainly if I we decided to go that route, it would have been challenging for many reasons. But she tried to get Abe's friend to go along with setting up a double date with one of her childbearing age fertile friends because it wasn't fair that I wasn't going to give Abe a baby, do you remember that?
2: I do, and I just thought I was meeting Joe and his partner for a drink, and then there was this other person there, and so that was very awkward, yeah,
1: how did you handle that? like did you just have well, drinks and then leave, or
2: yeah, I had like one or two drinks, mostly focused on talking with Joe, and you know did not you know I was polite to the other person, but And then uh, excuse myself as soon as appropriate.
1: Was she overtly flirting with you or being a bit handsy or anything?
2: No, no, she wasn't. Yeah.
1: Was she trashy like this other woman?
2: It was. She was. I, I couldn't have gauged it in that interaction so it wasn't obvious it wasn't obvious because it was
1: obvious to me the first time i met this other woman and i remember at the time thinking i don't like her julie don't be unfair you have no reason to believe that but my gut just told me that i didn't like her and it turned out to be right and every time that happens to me i try to give people the benefit of the doubt but my gut doesn't lie you know
2: You're very intuitive.
1: Well, have you ever felt that way about someone and then it turned out to be right? Or do you just not necessarily get that feeling? Because you didn't get that feeling from this girl.
2: Yeah. I mean, there was such little interaction. Mm. So, um, Was she hot, at least? No.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> was she in your preferred age range? Oh, no. She wanted to set him up with a young, childbearing age woman, so she wouldn't have been my age. I wasn't that old, though, at the time. I was early 40s. I still could have done it.
2: Well, these are the trials and tribulations of a handsome man. <laughs>
1: I guess, a super handsome man who wasn't trained to decline advances very well. Did you realize that evening that that was supposed to be a setup?
2: Yeah, after, yeah, pretty soon it became apparent and um, that was awkward, yeah.
1: Did you ever say anything to your friend about going along with that?
2: No. (laughs) No. See, this is the
1: other thing. You know what? If one of my friends tried to do this to me, I'd be like, what are you doing? Come on. You know I'm in a relationship. That's really unkind. You never even had the conversation.
2: I think I might have known at the time. I'm not sure about the timeline of, you know, me figuring out this person that Joe was dating. But definitely, in hindsight, if I didn't already know at the time that she was a massive bully. And that it wouldn't have been in his nature and he would have pushed it back against it. But I'm sure she would have. Yeah, he was bullied into that because that's not his nature. He wouldn't have done that.
1: But the fact that he went along with it is a bit strange. But you think he was bullied into going along with it.
2: Bullying and psychopathic screaming is very effective.
1: Yes. But anyway, she's history. Well, she she's alive. She's just history in Joe's life, so it doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks.
2: It's been a pleasure, Julie. Thank you for having me on your podcast again.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us. I'm sure the friends are happy to hear your voice. Thank you for listening. If you have anything you'd like to share or ask me, you can email me at jules says at com, and the Facebook page for the podcast never went away so you can comment on there too, or check it out for pictures. Have a wonderful week.